Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Well, hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat Podcast, where this week we're doing something a little bit different. In fact, it's been a, a few weeks of different things, different trials and different attempts and different styles of doing things. Last week, we had an amazing podcast from Amy and her partner, Will. Thank you so much for the amazing feedback to everyone that's been uh, commenting on that one on the social feeds or sending us direct messages or, or leaving reviews. It's really, really awesome to see that people enjoyed that. Um, and that certainly was something a bit different. Now, this week, we're doing something different again because... We are actually bringing you a recording that we did, believe it or not, nearly one year ago. And this is a recording that I did with Amy Shaw. Now, Amy Shaw isn't here right now, but you will hear her voice very, very shortly. And Amy and I sat down and had a good chat with a chap called Ben Robinson. And the reason that we met with Ben Robinson is because he had just launched a book in partnership with a rather big film that you might have heard of called James Bond, No Time to Die. Now, as I say, we did record that about a year ago, and at the time of us recording it, we even joked about the fact that the film was delayed. Now, almost a year later, the film has finally come out. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense for us to talk about the film and to play you that recording that we did with Ben. But before we do dive into that recording, I thought I would bring in somebody else just to say hello for the intro, because this is somebody that's really, really significant to our podcasts. It's somebody that unknowingly you have all had access to if you're a regular listener, but you haven't yet heard his voice. And that man is called Tom Kent. Hello, Tom. Hello, John. How are we doing? <laughs> I'm doing very, very well. Now, Tom <laughs> is, for you, the listener, Tom is our audio producer. Tom makes 
what we do sound amazing. Uh, and we're very grateful for that, Tom. So thank you. I'm glad it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. So am I. Um, so Tom, we've decided to get you in for the, the beginning of the intro. I thought it'd be fun to include you on this intro because we are talking about the Bond film uh, and Bond cars is the main focus of this conversation, which of course is something that we all car geeks and film geeks love to talk about. But the, oh, of course. the relevance in having you involved in the opening of this is because you... Uh, more than just doing our little podcasts and radio shows and things, uh, you do some quite cool things in the audio world, as well as being a musician and as well as being, uh, you do you know, car things on YouTube as well. Uh, but you also are involved in the production of some films and some TV shows and some audio things. And of course, that brings us right up to this common topic, which is on everyone's lips at the moment, which is Bond. Now I'm going to let you. Definitely. Yeah, I'm going to let you lead the way on how much we can say because I know that your world is is subject to millions of different NDAs and secretive things that you are not necessarily allowed to say too much of. So I'm just going to steer well clear of it. Sit back and go. Why don't you tell us in your worlds what you do? Ah, the liabilities on me. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all good. So effectively, uh, I mean, I've I've worked on a couple of Bond films. Uh, but the latest one obviously being the most significant one because of the scale of the production. Um, and effectively, my job was to take uh, and how can I how can I put it a uh, undisclosed car from an undisclosed manufacturer Very with safe. an undisclosed engine <laughs> and take it because of one of the movie cars may not have sounded as good as it possibly could have done at the field recording that they did and that happens quite often they end up having to do post recording mm. my job was to then spend a significant amount of time driving uh, basically a big beefy car recording the engine and making it so that it can be overdubbed in and the car chases don't sound um unengaging that that you need that engagement sound in the films for cars to really signify with car geeks especially yeah. because if you're like me you watch a film and you go mm, that alfa romeo quadrifoglio just went past but it definitely didn't have that that nice v6 engine going on that sounded like a v8 or, or mm. had a four cylinder or something like that car geeks notice so it's my job to make sure car geeks don't notice that's really cool i really like that because it is definitely something i'm sure when it's very easy for us as car geeks and a lot of people listening now will know this yeah you know, we've all watched tv shows soap operas films yeah all sorts where of course we see a car drive past and we go ah that's not right or you know even even to the geeky level of going well you know that that's a 1970s range rover and the audio they've played there is definitely from a 1980s one you know there are, oh, yeah. i am that level of geekery and I, i'm i'm quite willing to hold my hands up and admit that but of course at the time of actually making the content so filming it when you've got audio to think about from spoken word the actors when you've got ambient audio to think about all these other things i'm sure you know the actual the priority of making sure that the engine tone is correct isn't always at the top of the list i'd imagine from the from the production crew i mean it depends on uh, the sort of film if you're looking at something like fast and furious it's absolutely essential to them that they're getting it but then again if you look at uh, i think it was in the first fast and the furious the uh, supra what actually wasn't a 2jz oh really like a one one jz auto or something like that ah. so the engine tone they they ended up using uh, field recording afterwards to get the correct engine tone because as we know <laughs> getting a 2jz twin turbo super is pretty hard 
Ah, uh, this is this. <laughs> what I like about this is there's going to be a perfect divide of people that are really like our level of car geekery. That's going, yeah, no, that's absolutely spot on. Other people going, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, I mean, it gets <laughs> to the point when you watch a film. I, I can't remember it was one of the new Amazon other um, other suppliers are are available online, uh, and we were watching one of their new releases, and they had a 730D hooning it around but i didn't realize it was 730d because it sounded like it had a v8 and it's not until they had a sliding scene and i paused it on the rear on the, on the rear end of the car and i went it's a 730d and it sounds like a v8 i'm not watching this film anymore <laughs> yeah i think was it i think transporter was another one where they'd I, i'm trying to think which way it was now and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure somebody in the comments will let us know but whether it was um They'd filmed with a 728, or they'd played the audio of a 728, but it didn't match the 740 or 750 that it was badged or supposed to be. And I remember, yeah, yeah as soon as as soon as you discover that as a bit of an audio or a car geek, you just go, ah, oh, film's ruined, film is ruined. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there, there was sort of a badge mismatch back in, was it Goldeneye with the 7 Series on that one? Yes. Where? <laughs> yeah, the, the 750IL, as Q calls yeah. it. Where, yes, at one point it's a 728, at one point it has non-M Sport alloys, and then it has M Parallel alloys, all in the space of about 35 seconds. We even talk about that in this recording with Ben. Um, oh, really? Where, okay, yeah. perfect. So, yeah, we, we talk about that with him, and I, I, I do say, admittedly, I say I, I wouldn't like to be the person that's in charge of continuity when it comes to cars, it, with looks or sounds, of course. Because, of course, in car chases, things get damaged, and then, of course, you've only got a selection of cars to choose from, to film from, and if you completely destroy one car in one scene, you've then got to replicate the damage for another. It must be a total nightmare, but it does make for very entertaining viewing when you're sat at home going, ah, that's the wrong wheels, or that's that, the yeah. door's a different colour or something like that. It does happen. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what we can talk about or the, the levels that we're allowed to discuss with what you do. So you've done some work on No Time to Die. What was the other? You said you'd also done something on another Bond film. Worked on Sky Forever So Slightly from not only a field point of view, but from a soundtrack point of view as cool. a session musician. Ended up doing some bits and pieces on there. I'm recently working on a project which I can't currently talk about um, because I've signed an NDA, which basically says if I breach any information, I'll pay $15 million to the production company. Um, But in effect, I'm working on audio on that, but I'm also ended up in a a scene of it. No way. Because I was working um, quite closely with the producer at that point. And they just said, look, we need three people to play some music in an undisclosed scene for an undisclosed film. Um, you're a musician. You're going to know people. Do you want to come and do it? And we'll pay you a day rate and give you all the food you can eat. And of course, I'm I'm well up for that. Oh, I'd love the idea of being in a cameo of a big film. When, when are we going to find out what that film is? Is that quite some uh, time? Probab- I reckon it's going to come out probably middle to late next year because of the filming delays. Wow. Excellent. Well, that's exciting. It's always interesting when they turn central London into downtown New York and you walk in and you go, ha, okay. There's a clue. There's, I don't know what it is, but there's a clue there that somebody at home might go, oh, I know what that might be. Well, that's cool. <laughs> Filming delays. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a hot topic very, very uh, consistent with, of course, this latest Bond film because, of course, it's been delayed, I think, what was it, six times, maybe, maybe more? Uh, I think from our point of view, it was officially only like three times. Okay. But every time there was like the slightest murmur of something, the tabloids yeah. or the media would just go, oh, it's been delayed again. We're like, well, not officially, but yeah, probably. <laughs> Ah. And um, and again, I'm going to tread very carefully on this because I know that we have to be very careful about what we say, about which manufacturers and, and whatnot that you have done some recordings for. But you ended up actually 
updating the audio because newer models or newer engines came out of the particular car, the big beefy car that you were, that you were recording. Does is that ever happened before? Or is this something that's just quite because of this bizarre delay in pandemic filming times? Or do do manufacturers like you say with the Fast and Furious films? at some point go, actually, we want it to sound like that. So can we just change it? And how hard is that to do as well? I mean, from a recording point of view, I have to get a base version of their cut. I have to have an idea of what they are working with so that I can then try and get the engine to mimic what's happening. It's not as easy as me just driving around a circuit and Mm. just hooning a car constantly for 12 hours. I need to actually try and replicate the load, the sort of incline it could have been on, the braking, the downshifting, to match what they actually had as at source. Whilst mm-hmm. there was some there was some base recording done for it, effectively, if you're having a car which is going over terrain, which is spinning the wheels, the RPMs are going to be jumping up and down. I have to try and find a way to mimic that. I mean, we're getting to a point with digital creation where if you look at games like Forza, mm. the engine tones are getting so accurate because of the level of mimicking that they do in, in the, the, the wind tunnels and, and mm. dynos and stuff. There will come a point where my job is totally obsolete anyway, Mm. because they'll just go, nah, don't worry, we'll just fake it. You know, people aren't going to notice it. Car geeks will notice it, but the general public won't. That's it. Um, That's it. I guess when you're catering for, we've just got to hope that there are a continuation of very dedicated car films that we know that they're going to want to get right. (laughs) That's what we need to, that's what we need to make sure carries on. Yeah. Definitely. But then again, even in Fast and the Furious, which is supposed to be a car-dedicated franchise, you then start getting indiscrepancies within engine tones and, wait a minute, that car definitely didn't come as a V6. That was only an inline four. What is going on? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw this open to the listeners because I know there will be people at home that are kind of, this will be fueling their creativity or, or memories. Um, I would like to hear from you. If you have got an example of the films that got it wrong uh, or TV shows or anything, anything in anything in the, the media world where you watched something and went, that is so wrong and it shouldn't matter, but yet I'm so angry about it, please can you write it down and, and stick it on an email to us, podcast at drivenchat.com, because we are building up to a listener's letters episode where we'll read through some of this stuff. Um, I think we've got about seven open topics at the moment of cars we shouldn't have sold, um, <laughs> just bizarre bizarre stories things that make you angry in the car world for my mark R's moans uh saga uh, and now we're, middle lane hoggers middle lane hoggers yes absolutely all of you can get in the sea um and uh yeah let's add this one on as well um the cars cars that sound wrong <laughs> you can put that at your put that as your subject line for the email they got the sound wrong or something similar um because it would be great fun to uh, to work through those as well um, but yeah, thank you, Tom. I thought this would be a fun little exercise just to firstly introduce you on on mass to the listeners, because of course, as I say, everyone's kind of been exposed to your work, but without actually hearing from you, um, I'm sure we will speak to you again in the near future. Um, is, other than yes, yes. The, the top secret things that you are um, not allowed to talk about, is there anything else in the car world that you're that you're working on, or, or film world, or something significant that people might go? Or something in the past, people might go, oh my gosh, you were involved in that. I mean, back in the day, and we're going well, well back, uh, this would have been in the mid-2000s, Ford released their Focus, and they had the Car Parts Orchestra, uh, the advert on TV. Yeah, I played guitar for the UK tour of that with Ford. No way. And unknowingly met loads of the PR people who uh, I then, moving on doing journalism sides of it, I met them and I just went, I recognise you and I can't... just don't know why and then it turned out they had been uh, and the point we did that i was about 16 
And we're talking about 10 years later. It's like, oh, what a small world. Fancy bumping into you again. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Yeah, we, we often say on this podcast and on the radio show as well how it is a small world, the automotive world, from all aspects, whether that's PR or design or even you know down to production line. Everyone kind of does know everyone. It's two degrees of separation between everybody. We've, in Absolutely. Fact, we, had, we had a great email about that recently. Thank you to everyone that's been emailing. And we will, I promise you, we will get to a point where we do a listener's letters, listeners letters episode and we'll read all those amazing letters that we get and DMs and everything. So that's great. So that's awesome. Yeah, I do. I remember vividly that advert. Um, so uh, it was yeah. one of the I've still got the scars on my legs because it was made out of a clutch plate and a door and the door didn't have any rubber around it so it was literally sheet metal sitting on your lap cutting through your jeans <laughs> <laughs> That's mad. and it probably weighed about 45 kilograms as well so you, you, you played it sitting down only <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing I'm going to see if I can find a photo of that somewhere I'm sure you'll have one so we can share that on our um, social media feeds at the time that this goes <laughs> Definitely. out Definitely, uh, because yeah that would be an awesome thing to see well Tom thank you so much um, great to have you thank you um, publicly for all the work that you're doing on us and I'm sure the audience that are listening are also very thankful that it doesn't sound like uh, it's something I very um, harshly mixed on uh, Adobe Audition <laughs> for about six months which was the case when we started but now you're here making everything sound great and we're very grateful for that so thank you very much well thank you for having me and i love being involved awesome well here we go let's get stuck into this week's interview recorded as i say almost one year ago amy shaw and myself talking to ben robinson about his new book all about bond cars the driven chat podcast in association with paramex digital Okay, and welcome now to the interview section of this week's Driven Chat podcast. I'm John Marker, lovely to be here with you, and sat with me in the room is Amy Shaw. Hello, John Marker, how are you doing? I'm very well, how are you? Good, oh, very well, thank you. Good, good. Amy and I are sat currently in a beautifully, beautifully wood-clad room, a very warm and welcoming room, uh, just outside London, and we're with a rather special man who is responsible for writing about some of the most exciting and technical and dare I say it, I say this with caution, geeky (laughs) subjects of interest from the world of film. Uh, We're here with Ben Robinson who is the author of a brand new book, very exciting book for me, uh, called The 50 Greatest Bond Cars. Ben, nice to meet you. Oh, pleasure's mine. Thank you very much for, for having us here. Now, you're, um, we discovered you through, uh, I believe, a lovely PR agent who is, uh, who's brought us together here. Um, but I have to say, when the phone, uh, the phone rang and the emails came through of, do we want to talk to Ben, the author of, of this book, I uh, immediately shot up and said, yes, because <laughs> I, I am a bit of a, a closet geek when it comes to Bond, and especially the Bond cars. There's any closet about it, John. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, so this is a, this is really really exciting, um, but we just discovered before we hit the record button for this chat that there is there is a, an association a little bit beyond just writing about this book, isn't there? You are, you have an involvement in the world of the Bond films. Oh, yes, a, a tangential one. Um, I've been working with the the producers of the Bond films for something like fifteen years now. So we used to make a collection of uh, diecast. On cars, Great. and then we made like a really big one-eight scale model of the DB5, which is one of the more extraordinary things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> so when you're there with like the prototype of the model, and then you've got a full-size DB5 <laughs> up on the yeah. up on the lift, and the people from Aston are like going, "Oh yeah, no, that's pretty good. That's pretty good." And I was like saying, "Oh, I think the wheel arches are wrong." And they're going, "No, no, no, no. They're all different. They're all handmade. Right. You're fine." 
and your doors fit better than ours. <laughs> and when we, I, I guess the question everyone's going to be asking is, when we're talking about a scale model of a Bond car, are we talking gadgets as well? Yes, yeah, for working gadgets. I mean, that's one of the extraordinary things about that car, is that everything they put in the car uh, for Goldfinger worked. Wow. I mean, it didn't actually kill people, but, <laughs> but it had actual uh, machine guns that came out from behind the, the sidelights and, and went back and forth wow. and, and made sparks. Incredible. And then it, it did genuinely drop caltrops from behind <laughs> to, uh, to puncture the tyres of any pursuing car and did spray oil and... Um, yeah. The bulletproof screen did come up. You couldn't put anything else in the boot, of course, but the bulletproof <laughs> screen came up. Uh, the number plates did actually rotate. Wow. You know, all of the gadgets worked. It's a bit different when you get to Thunderball. In Thunderball, it sprays this massive amount of water, uh-huh. and for that, they had to have two fire engines and run the hoses under the car. Right. So, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> there was a point at which you couldn't do things. <laughs> the baggage, but, uh, but yeah. So one of the first questions that I wanted to ask is. Looking through the, the, the book, um, there are certain cars that I wish you'd had included, so I want to know what the filtering oh. what the filtering system was. Which cars do you feel should well, be in there that aren't in there? I am a massive classic Mini fan, so when I saw okay. that the Mini Moke wasn't in there, I was mm. scrolling through like, where's my Mini Moke? <laughs> so so what, was the, yeah, what was the thought process to keep these, get rid of those, and the, yeah, yeah, how did that work? Um, the, there was a conversation we had with Eon. I mean, part of it was, I think when people think of of a Bond car, they don't necessarily think of the Mini <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they don't think of the Zaz either, which did mm-hmm. make it in here. And when you've got a car like that, they're kind of going up against one another. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have a bond, 50 greatest Bond cars. One of them's a Mini, one of them's a Zaz, one of them's a 2CV. You know, it became a bit of a kind of it, a, a beauty contest. Mm-hmm. Um, and down that end of the, the, uh, the list, it's a different kind of beauty. Um, so yeah, there was a, a bit of a selection process that went on that way. We tried to represent the different eras, mm-hmm. uh, so that there wasn't it wasn't just all cards from Goldfinger, for example. Um, and we tried to represent the different kinds of car, and also to have cars that were driven by Bond, driven by his allies, and driven by his enemies. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the really interesting interesting thing about this book because I, I mentioned this, funnily enough, to a group of friends uh, only yesterday. I said I was coming down here to meet you and talk about this book with the 50 Greatest Bond Cars. Mm. And the first response from one of my friends, Al, was, well, hang on, there's... Has there been 50 Bond cars? And I said, wow, well, you've not only got the Bond cars, but you've also got the allies and the enemies, which I think makes this book really interesting because having a flick through, in fact, I've, I've got a copy 
of the book in front of me here. And it's interesting because, of course, you start with a lot of the Bond cars, which you're very familiar with. But as you scroll down, you get to the Allies. Um, you've got cars that do jump out to you, like the Toyota 2000 GT, which is one of my absolute all-time <laughs> favourite classic cars. And um, everybody always thinks that that car is a Bond is a Bond car. Yes. You know, driven by him. But actually, no, it's the Japanese Secret Services car. Yes. And there's a great story with that car. I don't know if you know this about the fact that there are only ever two convertibles in the world. I didn't know that. No, tell us. And the reason that there are two, there, the convertibles were made is because Sean Connery was such a tall man. So when they came to film the sequence with that car, for those of you who don't know, it's like the kind of Japanese version of the E-Type. Yep. Basically, beautiful car. Mm. Um, And they came to film it, and Connery is this massive man fitting into this very small car made for Japanese people. And um, he looked ridiculous in it, so they decided (laughs) they had to cut the roof off. So it went back to Toyota, he made made the convertible wow. for the film. Did they did um, they make the seat like slightly lower or anything? Because otherwise you can just imagine his eye line being above it, the windscreen. It, it is actually if you watch the <laughs> film, his eye line, his hairline certainly is above, <laughs> above the windscreen. Um, yeah, it also has that car also has one of the most advanced pieces of technology ever seen in a Bond film. Where it has the monitor in the in the back when yeah. they when the other car comes on behind and they pick it up with a magnet and drop it in the ocean. That's right. And somehow they managed to film it being dropped in the ocean. Where the camera that was filming it being dropped in the ocean was is one of the great mysteries of all <laughs> Bond films. Is that something that's never been discussed or disclosed? Or Oh, no, there are a few classic car-related car continuity right. things in Bond cars. Um, the other one, the really famous one, is the, the Mustang uh-huh. in Diamonds of Forever. Yep. And, the, and there's a, a fantastic stunt sequence where it drives through an alleyway and it turns on its yes. side. Yep. But they came back to, to shoot the second half of it later mm-hmm. and that someone had failed to note which way round it went into the alleyway. <laughs> so when it comes out of the alleyway, it's facing the other way. Um, and there's a ridiculous moment in the film, or extraordinary moment in the film, when Bond flips the wheel in the alley. <laughs> and when he comes out, the car is going the other way. And that was the fix. That was the fix. It's That's very it. subtle. I have um, to say, I, I think one of my... I think it, it would be a world I would both love and hate in equal measures, which would be having any responsibility for being the car guy for these films. Because, of course, as car people, um, you know, I myself... A, a fully fledged geek, car and it comes to it, yes, thank you. Yeah, I am a car nerd. Yeah, <laughs> when it comes to um, certain eras of cars, for me, I'm a huge BMW fan. So mm. one of the the standout films for me is the 750IL, or as it's aptly named by Q, the 750IL in the film, which of course makes me chuckle every time I hear it. And there's a fantastic scene um, with the 750IL in a multi-story car park where yeah, it's in Brent chased, Cross. In Brent Cross, yeah, <laughs> posing as Germany. Yeah. <laughs> And just before it does that fantastic scene where it crashes off the top and lands in a, a car hire mm. shop window, there's about four or five different scenes where the wheels change. <laughs> they go from diamond cut alloys yeah. to different 7 Series alloys, and it's very entertaining to watch. Possibly not the kind of thing you're going to notice the first time around when you sit in the cinema, but certainly it's something that does make me chuckle. But it must be an absolute nightmare because any, having any form of production responsibility to have cars in any film, you're always going to get somebody that's writing... Um, actually, it's uh, the, those wheels weren't on that particular car. It's funny, there are two, two specific car tyre car stories that spring to mind for that. So one is that um, this was actually a complaint that the director made about Goldfinger, mm. that some child had written into him saying that the tyres the changed from CrossFit to something else at some point during the, <laughs> during the sequence in Switzerland. 
Um, and then the other thing, this is extraordinary story, is that when they did the, um, the opening sequence in uh, Quantum of Solace, there's a car chase that ends in a, uh, a marble quarry. Yes. Um, and marble chips are not very good for tyres. Mm. <laughs> and they ran out of tyres. Oh, wow. They, they literally acquired every tyre for the Alpha and for the DBS in, in Europe. Wow. And they shredded all of them and had to start spinning their own. Gosh. That's impressive. <laughs> it yeah. does. I mean, it, it, yeah, well, it answers the question as <laughs> to why there might have been a couple of different tyre treads on yeah. I mean, that's, I'll, I'll draw the line at alloy wheel styles. Tyre tread is, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a level of geekery I've not yeah. yet got to. Maybe yeah. I will not at yet. some point. You're, you're, you're getting there, though. <laughs> now with HD, you'll be able to check. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. 4K tyre inspection, frame by frame. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine you as an old man looking through all the pond cells, like, well, that's, they shouldn't oh, have been on there. Obviously another tyre. <laughs> but that must have been quite interesting like going through the the research over you say like 15 years you've been in the the, the bond uh, at least, research yes, probably films yes. you must know some incredible trivia stories like so i i love reading about the trivia about films and especially mm. like the, you know the bond films some really the, the famous films that people have known about for, for years and to feel like Oh, that's how they film that bit. Like some of the the with the, with the lotus, uh, you know, underwater. Like <laughs> lotus. If you want to go through a film frame by frame, looking for slight continuity problems, <laughs> that's the, the one. Uh, spy who loved me in the lotus definitely <laughs> qualifies. What What are some of your your kind of yeah favourite trivia things that you found out whilst researching for for the book? Um, my favourite, um, my favourite Bond car stunt actually is the most it's the corkscrew jump oh the, the, didn't this get in the Guinness World Book of Records or something there are quite a few Bond stunts that are in the Guinness Book of Records okay. so there's um, the, the most recent one I think the most recent one barrel roll one is the barrel roll mm-hmm. in Casino Royale where actually that's a funny story as well they had I think a BMW originally mm-hmm. and they practiced it with the BMW and they put this um, massive uh, air ram mm-hmm. in the car in order to make it flare oh no I'll get this right way around so they did it in the they practiced with the BMW did it with the Aston. The Aston righted itself. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so then they they went bigger. Um, no, sorry, sorry. So they did it without the air ram. That's first. They tried. They were able to flip the the BMW. Mm-hmm. And then when they did it with the Aston, it, it just righted itself. Mm-hmm. So they put this massive air ram in it. And that's what results in the barrel roll with the, the greatest number of rolls mm-hmm. ever. Right. Um, but yeah, the corkscrew jump is something that they, there was a guy who was doing it. I should remember his name and I can't. He was doing it at a kind of car rodeo uh, show that was traveling around the States. Um, and they, they thought, right, we could put this in a film. But he had a specially modified car and they were like, okay, it's going to be this AMC uh, matador that they were going to use so they had to sort of take everything out of the car the steering wheel was actually in the middle of the car <laughs> in order to keep him because he had to be perfectly balanced mm-hmm. when it did the did this 360 jump over over a river and uh, he got it right and it happened first time did absolutely first time and he got out of the car and they said to him that was fantastic we just wanted to see if we can get another angle would you mind doing it again <laughs> <laughs> he ref- refused he said no well i've got it done once i'm not dead that's enough so Never the, doing that again. The, the famous magician line isn't it? if the tricks worked once that's it i'm not doing it again it, it, it just in case it doesn't work which of course makes perfect sense are there any uh, what would you say is the is the bond car if any 
is there one or two that really stick out for you? I think for me, I'm looking at it right now in, in the book in front of me, and this is only because um, I reveal my age slightly mm. with this, but I remember going to the cinema, I remember this clear as day, going to the cinema with my dad to go and watch Die Another Day. I think that was the first Bond film I saw in the cinema. As oh, a, I'm so much older. <laughs> I, I guess I must have been about 10, maybe slightly mm. older. And I remember seeing the XKR, the green XKR, yeah, yeah. on the ice, that famous scene where it's got rockets coming out the side and a cannon on the top and all sorts. <laughs> That's a car that really sticks out to me. And funnily enough, it is an enemy car as opposed to the hero car, which of course was the, um, the Vanquish, wasn't it? Yes. For that particular film. Or the Vanish. As, yes. yes, of course, because of course it went see-through. Um, is there a car for you that really jumps out and stands out? Is there one that is, if somebody says think of a Bond car, villain or Bond? Well, I mean, everybody thinks of the DB5 when mm. you say that. Um, I think there are a couple of really beautiful cars that don't sort of necessarily jump to the top of people's list. Mm-hmm. So they're actually, they're both um, DBSs. When so there's a, um, a DBS in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm-hmm. which is the first sort of Aston that wasn't a DB5. Mm-hmm. And I think that it doesn't do much in the film. It yeah. doesn't, you know, when they have the big, uh, the big chase sequence on the ice, they're in uh, Tracy's Mercury Cougar. <laughs> um, but it's just a particularly beautiful car, I think. I mean, you know, it's it's a kind of late sixties. It's kind of Aston Martin's response to the um, the Mustang. You know, yes, it's like of a kind of fastback Mustang. That's a really beautiful car, and I think. Uh, it sort of got lost a little bit. Mm. You know, there's a little bit of a change in direction in the Bond films at that time as well. Um, you, it has the tiniest of cameos in the next Bond film, actually. <laughs> it's, uh, you see it in Q's lab having oh, cool. this massive rocket thing fitted with the <laughs> So yeah, I don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> so there's that one. And then there's the, the, now we had a problem with this, the correct name for the Vantage, which is the Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Bond car mm-hmm. that is also that one is packed with gadgets and also reappears in No Time to Die um, he, he goes to get it at some point in the film that I think is also a particularly attractive car mm. I was passed by one once on the motor and I was like <laughs> god what's that it's <laughs> a <laughs> uh, very muscular car not very not as um, not as understated in English as a lot of the other ones <laughs> Amy what about you do you have a standout Bond car the mini moat, obviously. <laughs> well, the mini would have been my choice. But then looking through the book, now I have a new one. Either I've got two, and mine are really like people are going to laugh at me. Either the Citroen 2 CV or the Renault 11. I like both of them. <laughs> I, think. I do get it. I, I really do. I do. I, I completely I get think, that. What is it about the Renault 11 that you okay. like so much? <laughs> well, with, but with both of those, right, think about superheroes. What, one of the coolest superheroes is Batman because he hasn't got any real superpowers. That both of those cars haven't really got any major gadgets about them. There's nothing overly special, but they're still cool enough to be driven by Bond. And I think that is, I mean, a bright yellow 2CV is, that would be it. I mean, there's, there's one parked mm. up the street. We literally drove past <laughs> one. And, and I pointed it out, I was like, oh, there's a 2CV. I wonder if that's Ben's. <laughs> is it yours? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I mean, there's an interesting thing about that, because when people think about Bond cars, they always think about like the, the car with all the gadgets. Mm. Mm. But actually, Bond's always had this thing of kind of the swing of the pendulum. Mm. So the TCV comes in at a point when they've just been 
very gadgety. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd had Spy Who Loved Me, it was a Moonraker, and there's a kind of desire to sort of get back to basics. Mm -hmm. There's kind of like, you know, okay, no lasers, mm. no, <laughs> no turning into a submarine. <laughs> Let's just remember what, you know, this is a man. This is, you know, someone who's capable of, of just driving incredibly well. <laughs> so that definitely, you know, represents a kind of swing, yep. swing of the pendulum on that front. Yeah. Excellent. With, obviously, we got to a point now with, with Bond uh, where the Ian Fleming books have come to an end, so mm -hmm. we can't continue the story with the, with the book, so it's now evolving into all sorts of exciting avenues. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we saw a big change at the, the time where Daniel Craig came in as Bond because for a lot of people, it was a, a, a bit upsetting, really, because a lot of the gadgets seemed to get really scaled down or disappear completely. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, there weren't watches that were firing off steel wire that could pull you up the side of a skyscraper and that sort of thing for me i personally really loved it i loved that evolution of the story becoming a little bit more relatable to the real world you know watching daniel craig in bond was a bit like watching spooks and that kind of that for me was quite exciting but for a lot of people it was the opposite they hated it and they wished that there was a bit more of the gadgetry what do you think is the future for bond cars do you do you think the gadgets are going to become less and less do you think it's going to be more about the cars themselves, more about the driving experience? Is it I gonna... think it, it will be that swing of the pendulum. Yeah. I think that you will get so you know, most people will have seen the, the trailer for No Time to Die and will eventually get to see the film. <laughs> um, you know, the DB5 is back and it has some new gadgets. It has more gadgets than ever before. <laughs> um, and I think everyone loves that. Yeah. But when you come to the next film, you they would have done the best thing anyone could possibly have done and put all the best possible gadgets into the DB5 in No Time to Die. Yeah. So what do you do the next time around? And then maybe the answer is, okay, he just drives really fast. Yeah. Or he's in a people carrier or, or something like that. <laughs> Instead, just to show, you know, that he's James Bond, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter what he's driving. Yeah. And, you know. Um, there have been, I've noticed... Again, throughout the, the, the Daniel Craig era of, of Bond cars, there's, there have been a lot of other car appearances. For example, mm -hmm. the big X, XJL Jaguars, which M would be driven around in, for example. Yeah. There's nothing particularly gadgety about those. It's a, it's a car that has blues and twos and can cut through traffic if it needs to. And that is very much, you know, the drama is often in the car or the scene and getting to the Westminster Bridge and well, exploding. The first, the first two films, they were very deliberately wanted to steer away from that very gadget first two Daniel Craig films yeah. they wanted to steer away from that sort of very gadget driven driven um, <laughs> approach so you know he doesn't have I mean he has you know, has the DBS but it, it, apart from a defibrillator mm -hmm. um, it doesn't really have anything in it um, and then he drives a you know a, a couple of cars in Cosmos but they're not um, there's nothing particularly special yeah. about them and then when you get to uh, Skyfall the DB5 comes back. Yes. Or oh, his DB5 comes back. I mean, he, you know, he wins one in, um, <laughs> in Casino Royale. And then there's that kind of emotional connection. I think also they, they relaxed a little bit into the kind of bond that they wanted to just sort of put a little distance between mm. that. Mm. I think, you know, Die Another Day is probably the most fantastical of yeah. the bond from certainly the most fantastical cars. Mm -hmm. You know, with the vanishing mm. um, and all those gadgets in the in the jack. So the, but it's a natural thing that you go from how many gadgets can we put into it? What what incredible things could it do? To okay, 
we did that last film. Yeah. Where can we go now? Mm-hmm. What else can we do? Do you think, just from a personal point of view, do you think the gadgets are essential to Bond? Or do you think it can get away with just being a cool yeah, like, car chase? You, well, you can't really put all the gadgets into like a, I don't know, stitch and Picasso and be like, this is the Bond car. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did it with a tuk-tuk. Yeah, um, that's true. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's, it, when people think about Bond, there are certain things that they think about. Yeah. And a car with gadgets in is a big part of that. Have there been fantastic Bond films that don't have cars with gadgets in? Absolutely. Mm. You know, I mean, the first two films, and the first car he drives is a Sunbeam Alpine. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it's only with Goldfinger that the car suddenly becomes the really big deal. Yes. Um, but I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I can't think of another franchise where the car is as big an announcement as the guest star. Yes, absolutely right. Yeah. And there are a few famous cases of this where it's almost been uh, an anticipated big launch. The one I'm thinking of is, is the Z3 BMW. Mm-hmm. The time of the Z3 being launched, it was launched in conjunction. The car was launched in conjunction with the Bond film. And mm-hmm. a lot of people supposedly went out and put orders in thinking this was going to be a car that was going to be limited numbers. Uh, I can buy this and potentially sell this a year later for a bit more money or keep it for a few years and sell it on. And then, of course, it materialised that the Z3, as, a, as good as a car it is, it wasn't actually that exclusive <laughs> or special at all. Unlike the DB10. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> which is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's, uh, it, it's fascinating to see how yeah, both sides of that, that coin have gone. And it's interesting, even now, to this day, I will still see people selling a slightly bluey green BMW Z3 and listing as it was a Bond car so it's you know worth a premium well one of the other things that actually you want to get really nerdy about cars in Bond films one of the things that's really interesting is that the manufacturers often wanted their new car to be in the film mm. so they would supply the filmmakers with the car before it was ready right so what you often see in the Bond films is actually the prototype mm-hmm. yeah. for these films so um, you're, they're actually the model from a year before it was actually available for people to buy. Yeah. So they're often subtly different. Mm-hmm. They, they're just like not quite the, the finished thing. I mean, even the DB5 yeah. is actually the prototype. Right. DB5. Mm. And there was, a, there was a famous incident early part of 2020 where I think one of the big leaks for the new Defender was mm. somebody had snapped a camera phone shot of the new Defender prior to any launch, any announcement. So obviously, we knew the car was coming, but we didn't really know what it was going to look like, and somebody's taken a shot of it, I think, on Russian number plates. Yeah, I went to a meeting in which people were like, you can't tell anyone about this car. And yeah. it was the Defender. Brilliant. You know. um, That's great. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Have you, how many, how many times has that happened? It, it, and has, is it happening now for anything coming up? Well, it, the Defender in 2020, so this was obviously, you had to remember No Time to Die was um, meant to be out. Yes. a while ago mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean you don't they, they're very careful about what they share with people even mm. you know even those of us who are working on things mm-hmm. related to them yeah I mean we have a big uh, a big DB5 book coming out with No Time to Die it's just like it's the whole history of the DB5 from from the very first uh, letters that they wrote to Aston Martin right up to the end of No Time to Die mm. Um, and there's stuff in that we've had to hold that back until the film's out because there's stuff in that book that is all about No Time to Die yeah. and um, about how they they built them. So there are a few secrets. Um, but and, and the other thing to bear in mind is that actually until a film is on screen, you don't know what's going to be in it. 
Mm, there's um, there is an alpha that they completely painted out of, is of right? Contour Solids. Wow. Huh. That in the opening car chase, there was a car that they just decided they were going to use. Um, they were going to use the destruction of a car shot that they'd filmed, but they were right. going to use it earlier in the sequence. So they had to actually go in and visually remove, <laughs> frame by frame, wow. painted out the one of the cars that was chasing him. I remember fondly that opening scene because I, I'm trying to think what Bond was driving. He's in the DBS. He's in the DBS, yeah. yes. Yeah. And um, a car that should be should be dramatically faster than the 156. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very, um, very difficult driving conditions. Um, Somehow they do drive around the Italian lakes. <laughs> and they're not, uh, not the place where you can get up to top speed. No, indeed. It was, um, it's, I was talking to someone earlier today about... When James Bond, were, the, the the films were initially looking for the cars they were going to use, wasn't Jaguar one of the first companies that they went to? And I, then Jaguar were like, you know what, not a great idea, not going to do it. And then that's when they had to go across the road again yeah. to Aston Martin. There are a couple <laughs> of things that were on the list, actually, when they wanted to do the DB5. Um, and I'm blanking on the name. The Saints car. Um, <laughs> oh, the Jensen Interceptor. The Jensen. Mm. The Jensen was actually their first choice, I think. Really? Right. Um, How would Bond be different, driving a Jensen, a Jensen or a Jag? Instead of a DB5. Um, <laughs> and would Jensen still be a manufacturer today if he had? Yeah. Well, quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, with Aston, they, they had to talk Aston Martin into doing it with DB5. Um, it wasn't something that they were particularly keen on. They were like, oh, we let the, they'd actually lent the car out before. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the specific DB5 makes its first television appearance in an episode of The Saint, Mm-hmm. In which you can't tell it's red because it's a black and white episode. <laughs> uh, but it was originally red and they'd lent it out and they, you know, whenever they got the cars back they were not in the same condition that they lent them out <laughs> in. And they were, you know, I think incredibly um, they hadn't seen the Bond films that had been out already. I mean, you had to remember they were making Bond films one a year yeah. wow. in the early yeah. 60s. So, you know, if you're, if you're um, Harry Saucerman calling Aston Martin in 1962... You know, people have seen Doctor No, and maybe if they've been quick off the mark, they've seen From Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, okay, can we borrow a car? And uh, you know, Aston Martin, oh, we don't think so. No, we'd really rather not. Mm. And then they eventually managed to talk them into it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, it's been a very uh, healthy relationship pretty much ever <laughs> since. But yeah, I mean, but the other thing is that when Aston got the the, the Goldfinger DB5 back, they took all the gadgets out. Uh, restored it to its normal condition, <laughs> uh, expecting to sell it before it got called out again for Thunderbolt. Wow. <laughs> God, imagine, imagine accidentally buying a Bond car. Before, yeah, absolutely. Years yeah. before any of the, uh, the heritage or the heritage was there. Um, would you describe yourself as a car person, stepping aside from Bond? I, I wasn't actually before I started working on cars. I'm okay. not, you know, I'm not sort of, that's not been the big thing. But I've had this sort of great privilege of of writing about them and working on them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're trying to track down some quite obscure Bond cars. We actually found the man who owned the Hispanic Suiza. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> back home somewhere in Kentucky, I think. Um, so I've learned a lot from that. I mean, one of the, for those of you who don't know, the, the most extraordinary website in the world is the Internet Movie Car Database. Uh- Yes. I didn't know about this. Did you know about I, this? This no, is fantastic, he, yes, isn't it? Yeah, this is... It's, you, I mean, John, you were going to lose hours tomorrow now. <laughs> <laughs> How do I not know about this? I don't know. Do you know, know what it is? I mean, what it, it is, is it's, it's like IMDB yeah. for cars. I am... <laughs> and I hope there are hundreds of listeners right now who are doing the same thing as me, going, what? Yeah, it's <laughs> IMDBCB. 
imcdb.org and it is uh, it lists and you can look up any car wow. and then look up all its film appearances yeah. so you can do it that way huh. or you can look up any film and see which cars appear in it and it's it's got like this car is parked on the street when Bond walks past it in front oh, of my ev- it's got everything it's, it's an extraordinary uh, website and, and that opened my eyes up to a whole world of that is of, I am going to lose a lot of time. Yeah, I can imagine you're going to probably be the next biggest contributor to that as well, I guess. That's incredible. That it is it has little debates with people going, I think this is the 1967 model. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. that's the 68. So if you look at the sidelights... Uh, it's a dangerous conversation to get involved in. If you're you know, pub typical pub chat where you're sat around a table with car people and somebody starts talking about cars in TV or films and all oh, they mm. dubbed the wrong noise over there it's either something you really want to be part of or you really want to run, mm-hmm. run away from no, it is a rabbit hole type though absolutely it's very very <laughs> tempting yes absolutely I'm intrigued to, to, look, to look more into it now because when we were just discussing about the crown the, you know the, the TV show yeah. for a minute about the, the, the wonderful vehicles that are in that but also they're slightly um, incorrect I guess it's going to be like any industry isn't it if you have a if you have a, per- a particular interest in a certain field and that industry is used in television, you're going to notice things. You know, for, for us, it's always going to be cars. I guess if you have a, a certain affiliation with aircraft, you're going to notice mm-hmm. when the wrong the wrong engine spitfire is used in the Battle of Britain scene from the wrong year. You know, it's always going to be that's always going to be the way. But yeah, it's I, as, I, as yeah, as I said at the beginning, it, I think it would be a job I just couldn't do because I'd be, I'd feel so pressured to get everything right. You know, my, I've worked in an industry, um, you know, in this automotive world where you have to at times be a voice of authority for a particular, Mm -hmm. well, for a very broad spectrum of subjects. And goodness me, there is a committee, a club, a fan base for every single make and model of everything. So you will never be able to appease everybody. There will always be somebody who will go, oh, actually, you've got that wrong because I know all about Citroen 2 CVs, whereas I know a little bit about them, but a lot about a lot of things. Yeah. So well, I mean, particularly in, in films where you are blowing up a lot of cars or driving off <laughs> yeah. cliffs or doing whatever, it's quite common that the car that goes off the cliff is not the same car that you've mm-hmm. seen yeah. down, the, yeah. down the street. Yeah, how many, like, replicas of cars in that get blown up and push off cliffs do the films make up to that point? Because, like, it was the, like... Yeah, it depends which film you want to talk about. So in um, Doctor No, mm-hmm. uh, he very entertainingly the the three blind mice who are the assassins who when they when he in the big car chase with them and their car goes off the cliff and explodes, which obviously cars do when they <laughs> go over the cliffs, um, is a completely different car. It's a hearse and it's like it's one car and then when it goes over the edge, it's like no, it's just a different car. Um, <laughs> But obviously, the bond budgets um, on Doctor No were considerably smaller. Yes. Uh, yeah. than, uh, I mean, again, if you were to talk about the extraordinariness of Bond um, in in Skyfall, mm. they built uh, the most beautiful, amazing uh, one. I'm going to get this wrong. Quarter scale, uh, a replica of the DV Five yes. for one shot. Oh wow. It is, that was when it's parked outside the house at the end, yeah, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, and it gets it? Hit, by the, yes. hit by the rockets. So it's literally in the film for, for I think, two, two, maybe three seconds. I wonder what the price of that, just that, like, model would be More to... More than most cars. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But you do also have a lot of times where they um, they have a lot of, of cars that stand in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even in Goldfinger, they had uh, two cars out and in fact one of them broke down and they had to go and get the other one mm-hmm. 
So there are all sorts of little <laughs> things like that. But uh, but like we were saying, we're like using the, the BMWs. So sometimes you'll have a, a chassis and an engine with a shell on that are not the same. Yeah. They don't match. So, you know, that if people are particularly with HD, if they're going to go through frame by frame, then we'll <laughs> discover <laughs> the secrets of movie making. Fantastic. This has been absolutely brilliant. I feel like we could probably lose hours and hours and hours talking cars. I think um, it's definitely worth mentioning that Bond cars isn't just your forte, is it? Your, your specialty, I think, no. as we mentioned at the beginning, is Star Trek, and you've written a, a good pile I think it's fair yeah, to say spaceships as well as cars uh, <laughs> that's cool <laughs> would you say spaceships is more exciting for you personally actually what I really like is story there you go there's a there's a writer's answer um, <laughs> spaceships are even harder than cars because they the people treat them exactly as if they're as real as the cars do they and really they're like oh it's different size in this shot it's going yeah I know <laughs> yeah. 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 let me explain really <laughs> work out how big it is by comparing it they just wanted it to look better yeah yeah amazing amazing now there will be people listening, I have no doubt, that are going to want to know uh, where to find this book. It is called The 50 Greatest Bodden Cars. I'm guessing any yeah. good bookshop. Any, uh, yes, I hope even some bad ones. Um, <laughs> yes, wherever books are sold, I think is what we, we hope. Uh, but you can buy it from us. So if you search for Hero Collector, Brilliant. Um, you'll find that and a bunch of other stuff that is always in books. And then we can look forward to the, the next one, the James the Bond book. DB5 book in, what, April? Yeah, so that's, I mean, yeah, that's due to come out um, with the film. Uh, it might be out the week before or something like that. And that's, uh, The 50 Greatest Cars is, is a, a fun book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a quick survey of 50 cars mm. um, and I'm sure people will debate which should have been the 51st <laughs> car or whatever. The DB5 book is a, a really uh, beautiful, if I say it myself, coffee table book that really covers every single appearance of the DB5 in the in the Bond films and what happened to the the DB5s that went off to promote the films. Oh, I feel like just before we, we say goodbye today, I mean, maybe off the podcast, I'd like to have a flick through the, the book, just have a little nosy. <laughs> yeah, yes. Super. Ben, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really look forward to seeing what more. Um, can come out of your, your creative fingertips in the future. Hopefully more Bond stuff and oh, uh, so. more car stuff. But yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so thank much. You. It's been a pleasure. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end and it's john markar here again reminding you that this podcast the driven chat podcast has now run its course and has come to an end to find the new format search the driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps thanks bye